0: I thought this was Pastor Appreciation Week, and you're killing me.
1: Dude, the month is over, bro. The month is over. Clearly. The month Clearly is
0: over. It is over.
1: Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A podcast from your friends here at Sandals Church.
2: I am Stephanie Keane
1: We got Pastor Matt over there, and I'm your host, Justin Pardee. Today, Pastor Matt is going to be bringing real answers to your tough questions from the Bible. You fired up and ready yes, to go? Yes, I am ready. All right. So before we get into these questions, of course, you guys know we got to share some of these wonderful reviews we've been receiving from you guys lately. Stephanie, I feel like you should drop this first one because it's so sweet.
2: Oh, is that because it's from a lady also? Well, yeah, her name's Rose. It sounds yeah, it's from sweet. Rose. Ooh, I love that name. It's I know. Such a beautiful name. Uh, she says, "Love how this breaks down a lot of things I might have overlooked. You guys rock."
1: Mm, thank Not you, bad, Rose. eh? Not bad. All right, we got another great review from Wade Wellborn. I, I love this one. It's it's a smidge long, but it's so good. Everything about this podcast is amazing. I'm a college student from Ole Miss, and I always listen to this podcast walk into class. I started out listening to Pastor Matt's regular sermons and loved them. The debrief, the debrief has made me feel like I am no longer some random college student from Mississippi having a random man pour wisdom into my life, but it's almost as if you guys are just chilling with me in my living room, and we are having a deep theological spirit-filling conversations that help me make through each and every day. Thank you, Samuel Church, for all that you do, and I hope one day
0: I'll be able to visit and thank you in person. Better than that, I'm gonna be, I think, in Mississippi in May. Oh, yeah. So, oh. yeah, I got, I got a friend of mine who pastors a church in Mississippi, and I might be speaking there, so you gotta come. If all right, Wade. Yeah, well, let's make it happen. Let's Keep make an eye it happen, out, Wade. For that all
1: the churches a,
2: in Mississippi. Maybe yeah. our yeah. furthest review. Them.
0: I mean, we've gotten from yeah. Texas and Northern California. Yeah.
1: That was awesome. Well, hey, I know you guys have been looking forward to this for a while. This is our November one show, which means it's time to announce the winner of the
2: debrief hydro flask or debrief swag hydro flask giveaway. I biffed it. We oh, knew gosh. it. We knew today it. is not our day. Yeah, no. we've
1: got. We have I'm got just the so winner. Excited. We've got the winner. So uh, we're super excited. Our winner is a pair of people, actually. This is so awesome. Sarah Fisher Razzo. We're super excited. They posted a debrief swag photo of husband and wife, both in their debrief swag. A couple that wears matching debrief shirts together stays together. Amen. We support Mm -hmm. you guys, and we're going to hydrate you guys. Mm -hmm. So you guys are the winners of those Hydro flasks. We absolutely loved that. Now listen, our second favorite entry was not valid because Rustin from Texas... You cut that shirt out of cardboard and uh, put it on you and your baby. Really awesome! But here's what we are going to do: we are going to send you an official debrief T-shirt in the mail, so that next time we do a contest like this, you can enter for real. So fully eligible. Exactly, exactly. That was super awesome. We shout out to everyone who uh, entered. We had one entry all the way from Nepal. Which was pretty incredible. Right on. Why didn't yeah. they just win? Because longest entry. Well, because I looked at shipping costs.
2: Yeah, oh. that's a <laughs>
1: to be re- to be totally honest with you. <laughs> to be totally honest with you, thought it was pretty cool, but uh, shipping was cost prohibitive.
2: That's right. Well, we are also on Twitter now as a podcast, so you can follow us at at the Debrief Pod. Um, we've got a really great new social media manager, Elena, who has been killing it. She's been running this contest.
1: Shout out to Elena.
2: I know she's doing great. So she was running this contest. She's helping us stay connected with everybody on social media. And now you can follow us on Twitter.
1: Boom. We're over there. All right. Let's jump into some follow up questions. The Twitter. Here we go.
2: (laughs) Tweet, tweet. The Twitter.
1: All right. All right. First follow up question, Pastor Matt, coming at you from... Grace, She Mm. says, my friend believes in God, repenting of sins and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. However, she does not call herself a Christian because she believes the Bible is simply a guideline to be a better person, not necessarily something to live by and follow black and white. And it doesn't help that there are many different interpretations of the Bible. Can you help shed some light on this perspective?
0: Yeah. So that's a, that's a, just a bizarre perspective. And so let me just say this, Grace, thank you for your question. I'll call you amazing grace. So awesome. (laughs) Um, you know, some people believe the truth of Scripture, and, and they, they study Scripture like a map. Like, you could study a map of California, but that doesn't mean that you've been to California, are a part of California, or understand Californians. And so, mm-hmm. just because you can identify Sacramento, Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco, and you, and you know cognitively, that is mentally, you know, the geographic landscape of California doesn't mean you're a Californian, doesn't mean that you are a part, you know, in our state, or anything like that. And a lot of times, that's the way it is with people is they can identify uh, the geography of the Bible. I can tell you things about God, about the locations. I can agree to some right things, but they don't actually know God. And uh, so a person who says that I believe in God, I believe in repentance, and I believe in Jesus Christ, but I think the Bible is just a guidebook and it's not something that I need to live my life for, then they don't understand what's being said there. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can identify some things correctly, like they can pass a test, Uh, But simply because you can pass a test about Christianity doesn't mean you're a Christian. And so I just would really encourage all of you to understand that, you know, the Bible is not some historical book to us. It is life itself. It reveals to us who Jesus is. And uh, we don't need more information. We need salvation. And we need to think about, Hmm. you know, if you want to be enlightened on that, go to John chapter three with uh, Christ's conversation with Nicodemus. Um, Jesus didn't come to make us better students. He came to make us born again. And so we need mm. to be fundamentally changed from the inside out. And uh, so, you know, the Bible is not about being better, the Bible is about being saved. And how do I reconcile my broken, severed relationship with God? And the only way I can do that is through Christ and faith in Him. And so. Um, And then when I do that, the Bible is a vibrant, alive, living book that the Holy Spirit speaks to me through, and it changes every aspect of my life. So, Grace, I'll be praying for you and your relationship with your friend. Thanks for the great question.
2: Yeah, Our next follow-up question comes from John, and he simply asks, is it bad to get married young, and what are your thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, well, John was his name? Yeah, John, it depends if you're an idiot or not. So, you know, and I don't know you, so, and I'm not trying to make fun of you, but marriage is a big deal. And it's a big deal whether you're 19 or you're 90. And it shouldn't be um, something that's entered into lightly. I've seen people throw away their lives at 20 getting married, and I've seen people throw away their lives at 50. So... Age is just a number. The question is maturity. Are you ready? So here's the thing. Are you ready to love this person no matter what? Are you ready to change for the benefit of the marriage? Uh, And is this person willing to do that? Uh, My wife and I, we struggle deeply in marriage, but both of us were committed to Christ and committed to changing ourselves for the benefit of the marriage and the glory of God. And if that's what you're willing to do... you know, you can get married as soon as possible, but I would get in community group, and you're going to hear me say this all the time, surround yourself with Christians who know you, know the person that you want to marry, and that can speak honestly into that relationship. And so what I mean is you need to give the group permission and say, look, guys, I'm opening myself up to you. You know, if, you know us, you've seen us. What do you think about us? And that's when that's when I would say, okay, if they're all a part of it and you have mature Christians who've watched you walk and have helped you come up with a plan, um, then yeah, absolutely, I, I would get married early. But don't, and I use the word idiot because it means, you know, clueless, a fool. I mean, mm-hmm. that's another way to translate idiot, fool. Don't be foolish about marriage. It's a lot of work, but it is worth it. And um, I would never, ever rush it. But again, a lot, some people say you need to wait, uh, you know, until you're older to get married. And, and, I, and I watch older people be stupid all the time. So, right. Okay, so we got
1: one more follow-up question before we jump into Acts chapter 20. This one comes from Angie, and it's based on your sermon this last weekend. She says, you talked about being called to a church and choosing your pastor wisely. Since having to move to Northern California in 2010, I've been to many churches trying to find a church and pastor that enables me to hear from God, and I've yet to find one. I was attending one church, but it has now shut down completely. I've watched every sermon from Sandals since leaving in 2010, and I'm still blessed and challenged by the messages. Sandals Church has always felt like home. Could I be called to this church even though it's so far away from me?
0: Yeah, absolutely, Angie. And that's the reality is, you know, just like sandals is a part of me forever, it's probably a part of you forever. And so one of the things that we're going to be working on is we're going to try to help people set up home churches no matter where they are, because we get this question all the time, is there something like sandals wherever I live? And the answer is, I'm not sure that there's anything like sandals. We're kind of bizarre. We're a little (laughs) bit weird and a little bit strange. Uh, and not just because of me, but clearly because of Justin's influence. If you trying. haven't heard his announcements, you know, um, we're praying that he gets saved. So, working um, on it. Yeah, working on it. So, l- let me just say this we're going to be working. We got this great pastor on staff. His name's John Brown. We're not related. Brown's a very common last name. Uh, <laughs> I call him Big John. Uh, he's a big guy, or Little John because it's funny. Little John. But uh, he's going to be helping us to figure out how we can help deliver home church to wherever you are. And so, here's the qualifications for a church is you need to have other people there. Um, And you're gathered there to submit to the leadership of Sandals Church and accomplish our mission and vision, which is to be real with yourself, God, and others. So it can't just be you and your buddies. You have to extend outside of your social network, because uh, if it's just your friends, that's not a church, that's a club. And we don't want to be a club. We want to be open to everyone who wants to repent of their sins and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so that's that's what we're going to try to do. And we're going to try to be working on that and figure out how to best help you uh, develop that wherever you are, because we have people all over the world, Nepal, apparently, mm-hmm. that want to do this. And so it's our heart to help you. And now let me say this, there are great churches everywhere. Um, and I would always encourage you, you know, don't don't you know, Sandals is not the only church. There are amazing churches, even in Northern California. But if you feel like, God's called you to sandals, then we need to work on that and and, and help make that at least a possibility. So that's something that we're praying about, and you guys can all pray with me so that you can have sandals wherever you are. So we love you, and technology is allowing us to do this, and so that's something that's amazing. Yep.
1: Angie, we got your information, and we will be working this week to get Mm -hmm. you connected and plugged into our team. Mm -hmm. All right, let's jump into Acts chapter 20, and Paul is going to Macedonia and Greece. In uh, verses 1 through 3, it opens like this. When the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. Then he said goodbye and left for Macedonia. While there, he encouraged the believers in all towns he passed through. Then he traveled down to Greece, where he stayed for three months. He was preparing to sail back to Syria when he discovered a plot by some Jews against his life. So he decided to return through Macedonia.
2: So Paul is traveling all over again. It seems like he's specifically picking some places that he's going to. Why is he going this route in particular?
0: Well, it, it doesn't tell us this why he's picking this route, but there are some influences. One is weather, one is availability. So it's not, it's not like nowadays where you can go to LAX and get a flight to anywhere you need to go. You got to find a boat that's going where you need to go. So he, he's got to pick and choose how he's going to get where he's going to get. I mean, traveling was an extraordinarily difficult thing back right, in those days. Right. So it was dependent upon the ship. It was dependent upon the weather. And in this situation, right, he has people that want to kill him. And so he's got to adjust, <laughs> um, you know, which way he goes because you know he's you know part-time travel guy part-time jack reacher right he's got to he's <laughs> got he's got to avoid people that are trying to kill him shout out to tom cruise my crazy brother but anyways um uh you know that that's what he's got to do he's got to do what he's got to do to get where he feels like god's called him and and so we know in this chapter that he feels like god's calling him eventually to get back to jerusalem mm-hmm. okay so we're going to keep going. says, so several
1: men were traveling with him. You know what, Stephanie? Why don't you read these? Because we got oh. a wonderful batch of names. Okay.
2: Yeah, this is a hard I one. I see how this is. Okay. They were Soopter, son of Pherus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica. Gaius from Derb, Timothy, and Titius and Tropimus from the province of Asia.
0: Yeah, you're feeling bad. I,
2: I feel like I walked I have that this great book in my
0: office and it's called How to Pronounce oh, Biblical Names. Thanks
2: for sharing it with yeah, me. I really appreciate that. You should have read that. it before the show. <laughs> um, so they went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. After the Passover ended, we boarded a ship at Philippi in Macedonia and five days later joined them in Troas where we stayed a week. So it seems like names aside, Paul picked up a person in pretty much every city he had been to. Like a lot of these places like Thessalonica and Berea are cities that we've talked through. Um, was that just how Paul kind of did things or is there a lesson to take here?
0: No. So here, here's what here's what you don't, uh, the information you don't get from Acts 20. Okay. So we know this from the epistles that the apostle Paul is taking up an offering. So you're only going to discover this as you read Corinthians, as you read, you know, some of the other books where he's talking about prepare the offering before I get, make sure that you collect it before I arrive. And so he also tells us in Corinthians that he's doing everything possible to be above board with his offering because it's a large sum of money. And so what I believe these people are is they're representatives from every church that gave and from every area that gave. Mm -hmm. And so they are traveling companions that are making sure that the money that has been collected, which is now a huge sum of money, is in fact going to go to the church at Jerusalem. And um, we don't know exactly why Luke doesn't uh, spend more information about this offering. We know from the epistles that the offering was taken, but it's odd that Luke doesn't tell us what happened. So there's a bunch of theories as to why Luke wouldn't mention this. One, we know that when Paul gets to Jerusalem, he's not well-received. Uh, matter of fact, he is bound and arrested and things get really ugly. Mm-hmm. So maybe they didn't receive the offering. There's another uh, wow. thought or feeling that maybe the the Romans confiscated the money and took the money from them, uh, and it was never delivered. And so for whatever reason, we, we don't know why, but Luke doesn't tell us what happened with the offering, but you know, I, I, there's got to be some reason that he doesn't tell us you know, why, why, why he, he fails to mention that this offering is taking place. And I believe that all of these people are, in fact, helping Paul to take this money to Jerusalem. I just think things go so badly so quickly in Jerusalem that it really becomes a secondary issue. Interesting.
1: Okay, so in verses 7, we move on to this other little segment where Paul is uh, in his final visit at Troas. It says, On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. So is this
0: kind of an early example of what we now call church? Yeah, this is a great example of, you know, what it looks like. And so from the epistles, we, we have other directions, you know, somebody give a word, somebody sing a song, mm-hmm. somebody read a hymn, and then someone speak, and then when you speak, do so in order and so that it's not chaos. And so we have some, some letters telling us how to do these services, but this is a first example of the church transitioning from Sabbath worship to Sunday worship, and so... Um, it's just it's just an amazing, amazing thing as the church is, is now really gathering around this concept of the Lord's day. Um, you know, so when you read the book of Exodus and or the or the the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, one of the things that uh, is important about the Sabbath is so the Sabbath is the day that the Lord rested in Genesis chapter uh, one and two on the seventh day he rests. But it also says that um, in, in the book of Genesis that uh, the purpose of the Sabbath was, really to identify them with their deliverance, that they were to remember what God did, to sit, Mm -hmm. rest, and remember their deliverance. And so it's interesting, as Christians, we don't share in that deliverance story from Egypt. Our deliverance story occurs on Sunday, the first day of the week. And so Christians seem to be transitioning from remembering the day of deliverance from Egypt and, and and that Sabbath to the Day of Deliverance on Sunday. And so there's nothing wrong with worshiping on Saturdays, and there are people that are spiritually convicted to do so. And I believe that you are free to worship the Lord on every day. But there seems to be a tradition that goes all the way back to Acts 20, where the church transitions from predominantly Sabbath worship to Sunday worship. And so that's what they're doing here. And they, man, man, Paul preaches all night long. So it's pretty incredible. Right.
2: Yeah. So it moves on and says that the upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps, as Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutychus sitting on the sill, became very drowsy. Finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. Paul went down, bent over him, and took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said, he's alive. So this is a miracle, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay,
2: because the way that Paul sort of says, it seems like Paul kind of knows he's alive already. What's happening here? Yeah,
0: so the NLT, which I love, I use the New Living Translation every week, really doesn't do a good job of demonstrating what happened. And so you don't have to speak Greek, maybe pick up an NASB uh, or an ESV translation. And what it's going to tell you is that Paul lays on him, which really reminisces of Elijah and Elisha and the way that they do the miracles in the book of Kings. Hmm. And so... Um, I mean, this is a desperate plea for help. Paul's freaking out. This is not what he wants. This is not what he wants to have happen. He has one day to preach, right? Yeah. I mean, talk about a bad day. One day to preach and, and you kill a guy rather than see somebody being saved. And so he throws himself on the on, on his body and I think he's crying out to God and then shouts, there's still life in him. He's okay. And, um, so yeah, it's a miracle. It's an amazing, amazing miracle. And, um, it's just such a beautiful picture of what the gospel does, right? We've fallen away from God, and yet God brings us back through His grace. It also seems to happen, right, on the Lord's Day. Mm-hmm. What, is, what is Sunday? Resurrection Day. Hmm. And I think it's it's just a great picture of what the gospel is, is God bringing us back from death into life. We were lost, but we're now we're found. And Eutychus, um, you know, a sleepy teenager, uh, and we understand, you know, he's probably way past his bedtime, is trying as best he can to listen to the Apostle Paul preach, <laughs> but he gets really, really late. And he totally falls asleep to his death. Unfortunately, he probably moved to the window to get some fresh air because with all of those torches, there's going to be a lot of smoke in the room, and uh, that was a bad move. But that's what kind you of reminds do when you're me young. of uh, my five year old last night trick or treating. He just
1: got so tired, his feet were tired, and he just started aimlessly walking along the sidewalk. Out in front of car, you know, like we had to yeah. keep him safe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Without tire, he you should name was. him Muticus. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, that'll be a little nickname. <laughs> It'll be super casual to say around the house. Oh yeah. Okay, so then they go back upstairs. Paul continued talking to them until dawn, and then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home. So this sermon went on and on throughout the night. Uh, that seems pretty intense. Is well, do you think this was common?
0: No, no, okay. I think it was something that was unusual because Paul only had one day, and so he's going to tell them everything he can before he has to go. And he realizes is he's not going to see these people again. And so he's got to tell them everything he can and that people understand, look, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I mean, can you imagine if the Apostle Paul showed up at our church? I'd right. listen yeah. as long as he wanted to talk. I want to hear every single thing he has to say. And so, so no. I mean, that's why it's in the Bible. It's because it wasn't something that was normal. This was an extraordinary event that took place, both the raising of Eutychus from the dead and the sermon that seemed to go on forever. Totally.
2: So then it moves on and says that Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus. So Paul is left now and is sailing on. It says he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. When he landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. So, first of all, what was the festival of Pentecost?
0: Yeah. So, Pentecost for us as Christians is the birth of the church, Mm -hmm. but uh, the Pentecost is the Greek name for the Jewish um, holiday Shavuot. And so, Shavuot is the uh, festival of feasts. So, it's 50 days after Passover. It is the festival of, you know, the first harvest of the spring. So, You know, think about maybe right around June, May, somewhere around that time, you have this incredible festival, right? Things are blooming, things have grown, and you're reaping your first harvest. And it also, in Jewish life, celebrated the giving of the law. So it's when they remembered, um, you know, the first fruits of God's uh, word and commandments to them. So Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, receives the... um, the Ten Commandments at Shavuot. And so they celebrate that, they remember that, and it's this big holiday where everybody eats. And the reason they changed the name from Shavuot to Pentecost is as Hebrews no longer spoke Hebrew, they began to speak Greek, because remember they're conquered by Alexander the Great Mm -hmm. uh, in 200 uh, BC. So um, when that happens, they change the name. And Penta means five. And so um, uh, Pentecost is 50 days or 49, 50 days, after Passover. And Got so that's it. where the name comes from. But for us as Christians, it is at Pentecost in Acts chapter two, where the Holy Spirit falls and the church is birthed. And so we celebrate Pentecost as the birth of the church. Mm-hmm. That's our birthday Got when it. we when we became uh, really a, a living entity dedicated to the mission and life of Jesus Christ. So,
1: Okay. So this whole next section, um, kind of the closing of Acts chapter 20 is this pretty awesome letter that Paul writes to the elders in Ephesus, and he just says some really profound things. Uh, verse 20, he says, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. So man, how can we be more like Paul and develop just boldness and sharing the truth in love, but then at the same time, you know, trying not to alienate people that don't want
0: to hear what they need to hear. Yeah. So let let me back that up a little bit. So that's why we need the backup thing, you know, beep, 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 beep. Okay, let's back that up. Working on some sound (laughs) effects. Working on sound (laughs) effects. But until then, Kelly, I'm going to provide the sound effects. So (laughs) here's what we need to understand is here's one of the things that's so cool about Acts 20 is it's most like the epistles. So most of Acts is describing the Apostle Paul speaking to Mm non-believers and, you know, uh, giving arguments for his faith in Christ. Yeah. So the epistles are letters to the church. So what Paul is doing right now, and we need to all understand this, is he's talking to believers. These are people who have been discipled. And so he's saying, I told you everything you need to know. I have not failed to preach the gospel to you. And so we need to understand that there's a difference uh, between how we speak to those who claim to be Christians and those who aren't Christians. And so Paul's boldness um, is preaching in a context where A, people have come to hear Gospel. And so that's one of the things that I think that, you know, people misunderstand. Like when you're at a football game or a ball game and somebody's preaching with a megaphone, nobody's come to hear you preach. Mm -hmm. All you're doing is annoying people. What you need to do is create a platform where you can invite people to come hear what you have to say. Right. That's when you need to preach. You don't just need to annoy people. And and really, because I think what you're doing is people tune you out and what they're saying, what you're actually doing is helping them to think that the gospels are relevant. So we need to be very, very careful in the way that we preach to. Um, non-Christians. And for that example, we need to go back to, I believe it was Acts 17 when Paul speaks at Athens, right? Doesn't quote scripture, says, hey, I see you have a God here. Uh, And then he's given an opportunity to speak later. And so he speaks more boldly the second time. So what we need to do is, first of all, it's amongst our Christian friends, we need to speak boldly, and we need to tell them what they need to hear. Don't hold back, because even Christians can wander from the faith and get in real real trouble. So we need to speak boldly to each other, boldly in community group, boldly, you know, in our friendship groups, hey man, I'm worried about where you're going, what you're doing. You need to be concerned I'm concerned about your lifestyle. And so that's what Paul's saying is, when I was with you, I told you everything you needed to hear. And the boldness really was in the simplicity of the gospel. It wasn't in its complexity. All you need to do is believe is believe in God repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Mm -hmm. so really it's simple. It's very, very simple. So the boldness of his gospel was you don't have to do anything else. Just do these things. And he held to that. So on the one hand, he calls Gentiles to repent of their sins. On the other hand, he challenges Jews to repent of their Jewishness and not hold to that and understand that that's not what makes you saved. What makes you saved is faith in Christ. You can still be a Jew, but God is not impressed with your Jewishness. God is impressed with your faithfulness to Christ. And so Paul's bold to both groups. You know, Gentiles quit being sexual morons. And then to Jews, quit getting all wrapped up in all of these things that you you think make you good. Mm -hmm. Because none of that makes you good. The only thing that makes us good is the blood of Christ that covers us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So yeah, Paul is an equal opportunist in offending everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know somebody that's a lot like that. All right, let's go to verse 22. And now I am
1: bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, is what Paul says. What does he mean by saying he's bound by the Spirit?
0: What he's saying there is, is he can't not go. Literally, okay. so so think of like a slave being bound, like you're tied up and you're being led. And so um, Paul understands that his mission, his life, his purpose Is wrapped up in Jerusalem, which is strange, because we know from letters from Romans his heart is to go to Rome. Mm -hmm. So all of his desires and passions are to go to Rome, but the Holy Spirit is saying go to Jerusalem. And what's interesting is he says, "Is I'm bound up to go to Jerusalem, and all I know," he says, "is everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit warns me that there's nothing good for me Mm -hmm. in Jerusalem." And so this really, really, this really, really concerns the church. And um, you know, none of us would be Christians today if there hadn't been Christians who are willing. To sacrifice their life for us. I mean, think about you know the Christian movement in America today. That is because of um, you know those Protestants who protested. You know, you think about William Tyndale who translated the Bible into a language that people could understand. I mean, Mm -hmm. think about that. The church was so backwards that they had they had mass in Latin and nobody understood what they were saying. That's why so many of churches are filled with pictures because a the church was illiterate or b the uh, messages were given in a language that people couldn't understand. I mean, think about how crazy that is. It's the opposite. I mean, here, God's gone to all this work, and so we have these people who have died for their faith, uh, died to translate the Bible so that we can read it in a language that we understand. And we take all of that for granted now. But thank God there's been people like Paul you know, um, people like Hudson Taylor, people, these people that just so were so passionate about getting the gospel to people who didn't know it, and and without them, we wouldn't be here today. So
1: yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Today is November one, Reformation Day. To uh, yeah, remember all that stuff.
2: Yeah. So kind of referencing what you were just talking about there, Paul is saying that I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So like you were saying, Paul knows, well, he doesn't really know what's ahead. He just knows it's going to be awful. And he also knows that this is the work that's been assigned to him. How can we get to the same place of having so much confidence and knowing that what we're doing, even though it looks like it's going to be awful and painful, is exactly what God has called us to do.
0: Yeah. And I think, again, so this is the same guy who writes to the Philippians. He says, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. He found a deep and abiding happiness. Every Christian will be miserable their entire life until they surrender completely to the service of the king. And, and, and that doesn't mean that everyone needs to be pastors. What it means is everyone needs to be servants. We are all bond servants. The Greek word is doulas, which means uh, slave to mm-hmm. God. To Christ because of what he did for us. And so happiness is bound up in that, is embracing who God has called you to be. Um, that's why I'm so excited next year, we're gonna start this class called Real With Self, Becoming Real With Yourself, and you'll be able to um, take this class and discover how God has made you, right. and then realize how you can use how God has made you to serve his church. Because every single person in our church, you know, people, here's one of the reasons people are like, they don't know what my purpose is. Your purpose is to glorify God and serve Christ in the church. And when you do that, you will find such joy. Such incredible joy changing people's lives because of the power of the gospel and when God uses you to change others. And that's why Paul says, look, my life is forfeit because he's found real life. He's found real joy in serving Christ. That's what he says. He says, I consider all things lost. That's my favorite word, skubalin, which Mm -hmm. means poo. All things are poo in comparison to what I found in Christ. And so, He's found real happiness. He's found mm-hmm. real joy. He's found real meaning. That's why Jesus has come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. The most restful thing you can do with your life is serving God with the gifts he's giving you because you were made to carry that burden. Mm-hmm. And without that burden and you carry other burdens, your life is miserable. And so, you know, to every person listening... You know, when you choose not to serve God, either in small group or in kids ministry or in the parking lot or greeting or praying, when you choose to not do those things, you are denying yourself the pleasure of serving God and you are missing out on God's goodness, grace, and love. And uh, you may think you're saying no to God, but the truth is you're saying no to yourself because you were made to serve God. And when you do that, it's gonna open up your eyes and change your life. And so that's Mm -hmm. what Paul is saying here is, You know, I mean, he would rather die than not serve God because that's what his life is all about. And think about it. He denied himself marriage. He was never married. Mm -hmm. He never had kids. He never did any of those things. And so we all think, oh my gosh, his life must've been miserable. No, no. His life was amazing. Look at the friendships he makes. I mean, at the end of this passage, it says they wept. Yeah, Mm -hmm. These grown men wept and cried and held him and didn't want to let him go because this guy was deeply loved, Mm -hmm. deeply known. Had, had relationships that all of us would long for. And how did he, how did he get those relationships? By serving Christ and giving himself completely um, to him. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. It doesn't mean that his life was without suffering. It's just that his life had such deep joy that the suffering didn't compare. And, and, and he was willing to endure suffering, even if that meant death, because he had such joy, such friendships. And um, uh, I mean, think about it. This, this, this guy is gonna be so loved for all eternity because of what he did for us. Mm. Um, it's, just, it's just absolutely amazing. So uh, again, you know, those of you who aren't serving, I encourage you to take that class next year when we have it offered and, and learn how God has uniquely shaped you.
1: Okay, so Paul continues and he says, I now know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it is not my fault, for I didn't
0: shrink from declaring all that God wants to know. So
1: is Paul's boldness here because he knows he's going to die?
0: I don't think he knows that he's going to die, but he has a suspicion. I mean, I why think is he's, he being
1: so straightforward here?
0: Because he, for whatever reason, he knows that he's never going to see him again. He knows he's mm-hmm. never coming back. This is his last chance to talk to them, and you know, this is his Braveheart speech. You know, I mean, this is right. this is it. You know, they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. I mean, yeah. this is Paul's moment. You know, he's got his face painted blue, and if you haven't seen Braveheart, you need to watch that movie. It's amazing. Um, Homework for this yeah, week, so good. Uh, it's before Mel Gibson went crazy. He's a little crazy, but he can make a movie. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, he you know he he knows right. The Holy Spirit's warned him. Nothing's good. Nothing's good. Nothing 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 good for you is going to happen in um, Jerusalem. And so, you know, for us, the only thing good that happened for us is that he was taken to Rome by force, and the gospel goes forward and it's pretty powerful. So.
2: so- Paul kind of starts wrapping up here and he specifically starts talking to the elders and he says, so guard yourselves and God's people, feed and shepherd God's flock, his church purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day and my many tears for you.
1: So this whole chunk seems like it's, pretty specifically speaking to kind of leaders in the church. man. what does this instructions
0: from Paul mean to you? Yeah. Well, there's a ton here. I mean, we could spend a whole episode just on these couple of verses. So uh, notice, you know, again, Sandals Church Vision, be real with yourself. How does he start? Guard yourself. Hmm. So the first thing that you need to be most concerned about is your own ambition, your own desires, your own sins, your own weaknesses. So, so often we're so you know, um, we so want to hold someone else accountable when what Paul says is the first person you need to hold accountable is yourself. So be on your guard, uh, watch over the flock carefully. So we watch ourselves and we watch the church. And so what it means for me first is the most dangerous thing that could happen to Sandals Church is me falling into sin. Yeah. And that's why I challenged the church this week to pray for me, mm-hmm. to pray for my family. And, and again, and a lot of people don't believe that. It's not a statement of arrogance, it's a statement of fact. When senior pastors fall, churches fall apart. Mm -hmm. And it's terrible, and it's awful, and it's ugly, because Satan knows if you take down the shepherd, the sheep scatter. And that happens over and over and over again. And so the first thing I needed to do, and if you're in leadership, you're both in leadership, is watch yourselves. Mm -hmm. Guard yourselves. You know, you're in a dating relationship. Guard yourself. It's one thing, right, to be, you know, sexually pure when you don't have a boyfriend. It's another thing to do that when you do. And so... Guard yourself, guard yourself. You know, even us as married men, we mm-hmm. got to guard ourselves. We got to watch ourselves. We got to be careful. Absolutely. So that we don't stumble. We don't fall. Yeah. I mean, Paul talks about this in one of his letters where he says, I, I've run the race. I've been faithful and I've guarded myself so that I don't become disqualified. So sometimes you can become so focused on saving everyone else. You know, it's like maybe, you know, you go to the doctors and you got this overweight guy who smokes telling you you're overweight and you need to quit smoking. Yeah. How does a doctor get there? Mm-hmm. Well, their profession is made on watching everyone else and they haven't watched themselves. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, you know, doctors can be very very physically unhealthy, psychiatrists can be emotionally unhealthy, and pastors can become immoral. So you have to watch yourself first, um, you know, and not and not slip into something. So, um, you know, there's just a, there's just a lot here. He says, you know, guard guard the flock, which God, the Holy Spirit has entrusted you to. And so again, so God, you don't choose to watch over the church, but the Holy Spirit picks you. And then you choose to answer that call or not answer that call, but the Holy Spirit selects you. So he's saying, you know, the Holy Spirit has picked you guys. And that's interesting. They didn't pick themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit has been involved in your guys' election and, you're, and and he has chosen you. So be very, very careful because wolves, he says, will rise up. From among you, and I've seen this at our own church. We've we've gone through potential splits at Sandals Church. We've had disagreements with pastors. We've had pastors fall into moral failure. I mean, we've had so many things go wrong here. It's it's a miracle and a testimony (laughs) of God's grace that we're still (laughs) here. I had no idea. You know, um, I I think I was just ignorant when I, you know, first started out. I just assumed that everybody who wanted to be a pastor had good intentions. Mm -hmm. Well, I've learned that that's not the case that some people, um, you know, are wrapped up in their own desires, their own passions, and they have their own areas of woundedness that just tweak them. And, you know, I just, I just was silly in that manner. And I didn't, I was, I was too quick and I appointed elders too quickly and I've learned not to do that. So for me, it just means that again, that I have to be so very careful as I, as I love and direct Sandals Church that, um, if I go down, I can take this beautiful thing that God has given us with me. And, um, you know, um and again that's why I ask for everybody's prayer, because you know, to all our listeners, when your life falls apart, and I pray that it doesn't, the only thing that you probably destroy is your life. If my life falls apart, I'm going to destroy and hurt the lives of so many people in our church, and I will tarnish the name of the gospel. Yeah. And so that's why you need to guard yourself. So uh it is interesting here. You guys didn't ask me about this, but this has one of one of the most difficult passages to translate. It says, um, you watch over um, the church of God that he purchased mm-hmm. with his own blood. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's interesting here. So it's just really, really difficult passage to translate because God the Father didn't die on the cross, Jesus Christ did. And so scholars have tried to figure out what to do with this because we know the Father didn't die on the cross, Jesus did. So some ancient manuscripts change it from uh, God to the Lord. Mm-hmm. The Lord died on the cross. And that's not, it seems like that the best translation is that it's God's own blood. And so mm-hmm. some of your newer translations will translate it this, the blood of his own. So he purchased the, the church with the blood of his own, mm-hmm. which I think is, you know, a possible translation. It's just really different. So what, what Paul's trying to say is, look, this isn't ours, it's God's. Mm-hmm. And he, it's his blood, the blood of Christ, that um, the blood of God's one and only son that, that gave this to us. So let's be very careful and very precious. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about if somebody gave something to you and it cost them a child, Right? Yeah, you know, you know. Think, think about you. If you, if you gave someone, and it cost you Boaz, mm-hmm. Boaz had to die. Yeah, to give that to somebody. You, right? You, I mean, you can't even imagine doing that. Mm-hmm. But that's what God, you know, did. You know, and you don't have just Boaz. You have Titus as well. Mm-hmm. So. God had only one son and he gave him up so that we could have this beautiful thing called a church. And we need to love her, respect her, cherish her and serve her. And so many of us don't. So many of us take the church for granted. We go to church when we have time, if it fits in, if the kids don't have soccer, if my favorite team isn't playing football, it's like, look, look, the Dallas Cowboys are great. They didn't purchase your soul with the blood of their son. You know, Jerry Jones, great owner. He didn't give up a son for you to be a fan. God gave up his son for you to have faith. And we need to remember that and cherish that. And so many of us who claim to worship God, the truth is we don't based upon our actions. And so um, be careful, there are wolves. Um, and sometimes the wolf is, um, you know, the, the leader, the teacher, sometimes it's in your small group who says, I just don't get sandals. Mm-hmm. And they're just a little negative. Or I just don't, you know, I don't agree or whatever.
2: Could you speak just a little more specifically about what some of the telltale signs of a wolf are, so we can yeah kind of wolves get it are
0: out? sneaky besides so, the how besides the howling yeah, yeah the fur howl- yeah yeah that's good that's a giveaway um, if they disappear if your in full group moves. leader starts howling yeah one of the movies that freaked me out when I was a kid American Werewolf in London I went to see that movie my mom told me not to see that movie it terrified me <laughs> your that mom was right terrified yeah mom's me. right oh my gosh scared me to death so um <laughs> yeah I had nightmares about that movie forever so listen here's the thing about wolves is is they they lurk in darkness and they never come out right. They hunt and um, and you just need to be so very careful. And so oftentimes, you know, you can become a wolf if you're not careful. You tear down the church. You you start bad mouthing the church. You start you know saying you know terrible awful things about the church. And oftentimes, what wolves do is they just plant seeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know how mad is. Well, no, I don't know how mad is. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And so they maybe they pick on. Um, maybe it's a real issue that I have. You know, I mean, it could be real. I'm not perfect. I have issues. So they just pick on an issue, and they just plant these seeds of mistrust and distrust. And so what does a wolf do? A wolf always tries to collect their own following. And it's not for the benefit of the sheep. It's for themselves and their own desires. And so always be very careful of people that are trying to seclude you, pull you away, follow you. And so my heart and ambition has never been to steal people from other churches. That's what wolves do. Wolves steal people from churches, and they try to pull them away. Well, you don't need to go there. You need to come here. You need to be a part of my following. You need to listen to my teaching. And, you know, unfortunately, there are many churches, you know, locally, that don't ever lead anybody to Christ. They just lead people away from sandals, and that breaks my heart. And then and I don't think that's the gospel. And that's why we're not changing the world, is we need to reach lost people, not people from other churches. And so, um, just be very, very careful with people that seek to isolate you and say bad things about your leaders. Because Paul you know, he, he's warning them in Ephesus and we know that they had huge problems. I mean, Revelations chapter uh, two, uh, two and three, when he talks about the six churches, the church of Ephesus, John says, you've lost your first love.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like you fell away from that. Yeah. So Paul warned them that from with your own ranks, there's gonna be people that try to take you away from this. And we know from Re- the book of Revelation that it happened and it was sad. And so we gotta be careful with that. So, you know, wolves are dangerous and they plant seeds of distrust and they try to get you away try to pull you away from the flock because that's when you're most vulnerable is when you're away from the shepherd and you're separated from the sheep. And um, so wolves are cunning and they're powerful, man. And and so you just need to be so very, very careful. So this was an interesting question that came in from Tyler uh, who asked, if, you f- if someone
1: feels they're called by God to go into ministry and then doesn't, are they leaving room for a wolf to
0: enter? Potentially, but I would say this more than this is if you feel like you're called um, by God to ministry This is what I would say, is you're probably going to handicap the church. There have been so many times, you know, when I think about sandals over the last 20 years, it's weird. You know, you said this weekend that we're approaching our 20th year, and we've had such talented, capable leaders in our church who have left for various reasons. Every single person that left handicapped Sandals Church in some way. Mm -hmm. Because, and here's why, I, I can't do it all, and I'm not called to do it all. I'm gifted in certain areas, and we need everybody's gifts, and we need everybody's leadership and everybody's abilities. Sandals Church is not here because of me and only me. It's because of the sacrifice of leaders, people like you, who've come alongside. Um, you know, you left a career, you know, with the law firm to come here in Sandals Church. I don't know what career you left. My own. I think you were homeless or something, right? When we found you, you just sort of no, standing on the street corner. No, party, you know, so party, you could homeless, be in Silicon blade, Valley, Valley yeah, you know, making millions of dollars. <laughs> but you're here, and because you guys did that. Sandals Church is better for it. And so this is what I would say is, is I don't know that it will allow wolves to arise because I'm still here and I'll beat those wolves down. But what it will do is, is it will make us weak in a certain area. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what happens when people who are called to ministry don't answer the call is it handicaps the church in some way or another. And that's what makes um, me so sad is because I love Sandals Church. And for Sandals Church to be its best all of her ministers and all of her pastors must come forward. We will never be everything we're called to be until the people of our church are who they're called to be. And uh, that, you know, that's not just about my obedience; it's about our church's obedience. And so, um, you know, uh, that—that's one thing I've learned is so. Tyler asked the question. Mm-hmm. One thing I've learned is as I'm the chief wolf beater. No one, no, it's no one's job but me. Like when I see wolves, and I've I've told people to their face in this church, you and I've. Mm -hmm. had a relationship with a person where i said you were a wolf Mm -hmm. um and here's what wolves usually are wolves usually were probably supposed to be shepherds Mm -hmm. but at some point they turned and that's why he says he says wolves will come up from amongst you he's pointing to the pastors of the church yeah Mm -hmm. they're gonna come up so the church in this passage we face dangers from without and dangers from within and that's the reality the church is torn down not just from the assault of the enemy from without but from with our own sin within and so we need to be you know very very careful and um, um so you know this is why i just say is is is, if i identify someone or something as a wolf which has only happened a couple of occasions you need to trust me that person is dangerous and um you know my job is to protect the church um, and unfortunately from time to time it has been from leaders and uh, we've had leaders that have turned in on their faith and become selfish, and they've hurt people, and that's not okay. Mm -hmm. That is not okay. And some of these leaders are people that I've loved, I've mentored, I've discipled, I've prayed over, and for whatever reason, man, I don't know why people turn, um, but they did, and they started to hurt and devour the church, and that is not okay.
1: Mm -hmm. I just want to be clear, when you say the church, you're not talking about like Sandals Church is some big idea, like you're talking about actual people's lives when they've hurt and devoured. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, because leaders hurt people in the Mm -hmm. church. And, um, you know, people say this, oh, I don't go to the church because the church hurt me. Well, the reality is people in the church hurt you. Mm -hmm. You know, the church is the bride of Christ and she is perfect. The people in the church are a mess. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I mean, I'm not without um, sin on that issue. I've hurt people, but I apologize and I ask for forgiveness. So uh, I've never intentionally, you know, wounded somebody, but I have in my own sinfulness or stupidity. So, and then I have to come back and say, I'm totally sorry. I blew it. I need you to forgive me. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I have to do that, Stephanie, like every other day. It's It's true. It's
2: okay. (laughs) I've learned to forgive. Yeah. You've learned to forgive. Yeah. Yes.
0: She's so righteous. (laughs) Mother Teresa here on the debrief. There There you go. go.
2: Um, So, Paul starts wrapping up here and he says that now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. What does Paul mean here by an inheritance?
0: Well, let's go back to that is that he believes that he's entrusting them to the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about that. Think of that as a parent.
2: Mm.
0: You've discipled, you've led your kids. They're now growing. I got two daughters. Uh, You know, my wife was all weepy last night because it was the first time in our family that we weren't together on Halloween, Mm. which I'm a dad, didn't faze me at all. (laughs) My wife's in tears when we go to bed at night, Mm. you know, but as a parent, I have two daughters in college. We're entrusting them to the Holy Spirit because ultimately they're his kids, And he's going to guide them and he's going to watch over them. And so I think that um, that's what Paul is saying here is I've done everything I can. You are now in God's hands and those are good hands. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to entrust that to you. What was your specific question that I did not answer?
2: (laughs) What does Paul mean by an inheritance that he references there?
0: Yeah, read it to me again.
2: It says that now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. Yeah.
0: I mean, this is, you know... um, I don't know what it was. Do you, do you ever do you ever look at stuff you shouldn't on the internet? And I don't mean like porn or something like that. Sure. Yeah. But like last night, I don't know why I did, but I, I got on this website and I looked at the richest person in every state. <laughs> I, I just did, and and just so you guys don't know, the Walton family—they're the richest person in like four states, oh, like really? Missouri, uh, Arkansas, yeah. and even Texas. The, the one family, the richest people in multiple states. Crazy. It's just amazing how wealthy Walmart is. And I just, you know, he just bums me out. I'm like, what have I done with my life? And some of those guys are younger than me. Oh yeah. You know, some of those tech giants are younger than me, and they're worth like five, ten, fifteen billion dollars. And I'm like, I have a mortgage, and it's just like, ah. Yeah. Well, our job as Christians is not to be rich in this life. What Paul is saying is, you are going to be unbelievably wealthy in the next life.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: God is going to bless you, and God is going to take care of you, and um. Right in Luke, he says, Whatever you give will be pressed down, shaken together, making room for more and more. You cannot outgive God. And so in the next life, which by the way, for those of you new Christians, is not heaven forever. It's a new earth. So it will be a physical, tangible, real place like this, where we will be extraordinarily wealthy because we are heirs. So think about the Walton family. Why are they rich? They didn't do anything. Yeah. They didn't do anything. Their grandpa had a great idea. I'm gonna sell you know, crap cheap, and, 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 all, and everybody wants crap, right? So, and, and if there's people that work at Walmart at our church, we love you, and please keep tithing with all that Walmart money. Yes. Anyways, um, but think about it. They are the wealthiest people because of what Grandpa did. Mm-hmm. And that's we are the wealthiest people because of what Jesus did. Yeah. And so we're going to share in that. So he's saying stay faithful. And remember, Ephesus was an economic center, and a lot of these people had said no to extraordinary wealth, because they became Christians, which is what happened in Acts 19. the whole economy is in an uproar in Ephesus because everyone's converting from worshiping Diana to Jesus and so now they're not you know buying the booby statues that Stephanie <laughs> loves so much um, uh, there looks like a set of grapes on the front of a woman because multiple breasts was considered fertility whatever I remember yeah anyways. so are
2: there are now two episodes that are going to reference this yeah <laughs> sweet it's Ephesus
0: I've been there, man I've seen it they were they were fascinated with uh, genitalia in Ephesus so a lot of the ancient statues had all kinds of Enlarged areas, let's just say that. All right, fair enough. Yeah, um, but uh, we have an incredible inheritance. I just made Justin blush. That was hilarious. <laughs> uh, and so let me just say this. You know, everything you tithe, all these things you've said no to yourself, um, you have no idea what God's gonna do for you. And, and Paul promises that, right? He says this, I know in whom I have believed and I have trusted and he is able to keep what I've given him. And so Paul believes that his investment in Jesus will pay off and you need to know that as well.
1: Yeah, you can tell the very end of the chapter closes in verses uh, 33. He starts and he says, I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive.
2: So right here, Paul's quoting Jesus, but there's no record of Jesus saying this in any of the gospels that we have. So is he paraphrasing? Is he kind of making that up?
0: Well, he's not making it up. No, no, he's apostle Paul. Yeah, no, no. So this is an apparent saying of Jesus. So the book of John ends with, I've not told you everything about Jesus. If that were so, you know, the the book would be without end. Because imagine everything that Jesus said was God's word. Mm -hmm. I mean, when he said, um, it was inspired. So... So yeah, this is just one of the teachings of Jesus, and I believe it's a real teaching of Jesus that probably flowed around through oral tradition, but for whatever reason, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, I mean, it didn't fit what they needed to tell us about Jesus, but Paul knew about it, and apparently, so did the church at Ephesus, because he said, you should remember, which means Mm -hmm. what? They're not hearing it for the first time. So this was a teaching of Jesus that they had heard about, that they had known, Uh, the scriptures aren't written yet, and so he says, hey, listen, it is more blessed to give than to receive, which, by the way is what Christ did. It's what Paul did. It's what we're called to do. We are to give ourselves for the kingdom, our finances, our time, our love, our energy, our devotion, and our abilities and gifts. And we give that to God, and that's the blessing. It's not what we get out of it. And pastors should model that first. Um, you know, my, my ambition is not to be rich or wealthy. That is not my heart's desire. It's to serve the Lord and to serve the King. And I have spent my life building Sandals Church, because I believe that's what God called me to do. And... Um, it's not for my benefit it's it's for the lord's and um you know sandals is is a multi-million dollar operation it is mm-hmm. you would not know that i run a multi-million dollar operation based upon my lifestyle or income mm-hmm. because yeah. that's not my passion and my heart's desire and there are some pastors that fixate you know on finances and being wealthy and i don't i don't think that's the call of the gospel and and i think it's a tragedy um because You know, God's call for my life is not for me to be rich. It's for me to be rich in relationship with Him and to be blessed by Him. And, um, you know, there are other people in our church that are called to be rich so they can help finance this church and help us accomplish the mission and purpose of of Jesus Christ. And, And if you are rich and you're listening, that's why God gave you all that money. It isn't to buy a second car or a third house or all of this other stuff. It's to finance the church and help the church, help poor people who can't give in that way. And that's why God has continued to bless you in that area is so that you can be a blessing to him. And um, that's what Paul did. So he's a man of integrity. Mm -hmm.
2: I've also heard people use passages like this where Paul talks about how he worked really hard, made his own way. I've heard people use passages like this to say that missionaries who are on the field should be working while they're there rather than raising support, or that pastors should be working another job instead of being supported by the church. What's he actually saying? You've
0: heard who say that?
2: I've heard like people reference this when they talk about missionaries. like Missionaries should all have jobs on the field yeah. rather than raising support. Okay, or... so
0: here's the truth is, you, you, you have to do whatever it takes to spread the gospel. Mm-hmm. So if that means you have to get a job, you get a job. When I planted Sandals Church, I had a job. Tammy had a job. Why did we do that? Because there was no church to support us. And I didn't want people to come to Sandals Church to support me. I wanted them to come to Sandals Church to um, hear the gospel and to grow in their faith in Christ. Now we have a church of 8,000 people. Okay. The church can support me and they should do that. And it would be ridiculous for me to work a full-time job and then preach five times on the weekend, do the debrief on Tuesdays. I mean, I'd be divorced and my kids would hate me and Mm -hmm. I'll be alcoholics. Mm -hmm. And that would be on the church. The church's job and responsibility is to take care of me because our flock is too big. So here's what I would say is you need to do whatever it takes. You know, if God's called you to do something and there is no support, you got to go. You got to go and you got to support yourself. If you can raise support, that's great. Do that. I mean, I, I support five missionaries. I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to do that. And I want them to accomplish their mission. Um, so, so do whatever it takes. Paul actually says that he did a disservice to some of these churches because he didn't have them give to them. Mm-hmm. And what that meant is they didn't honor him and they didn't revere him in the right way. And he actually says it was the wrong thing because he withheld a blessing from them and they weren't allowed to do that. Look, right? Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So if you don't give your people an opportunity to give and support you and bless you, then you're not remembering the, the words of the Lord Jesus. It's not just for me to give and be blessed. It's for you to give and for you to give and be blessed and for anybody else who wants to give and be blessed. I mean, the blessing is in the giving. And so people that, you know, support us, all three of us are on staff here at Sandals Church, and it's the primary uh, income, the way that we earn income, all the people that support us in that are blessed. Mm-hmm. And for us to not allow them to do that, they're not, they're not blessed. But in the same way, I give to missionaries and I, I tithe to the church and we give to the building programs and we do everything else because I want to be blessed and I'm a part of that. I don't just you know, live off the tithe. Tammy and I tithe and, and we do this. And so I think that you know, Christians get caught up in certain things and, and it's just ridiculous. Do whatever it takes to reach the gospel. And that's what I believe Paul did. If Paul had to work he wasn't going to not preach the gospel because he had to work. He would work all day and he would preach at night. That's what he would do. But when he had the opportunity, and as soon as the church has the opportunity, so you know, this week we read, um, you know, First Timothy five seventeen that says that you should pay well the elders who preach and teach. You should you should pay them well, and you should take care of them. He's the same guy. So he said both. Mm-hmm. So if you are able to take care of those who preach and teach and lead. Then, then do that. And so I, I'm blessed to be able to spend all this time studying the scriptures and learning the gospel so that you guys can go to work and then you can be blessed in that on the weekends. Uh, it doesn't do you any benefit if I don't get to spend any time in the word and I have to go with what I learned last year or the year before. That doesn't help our church. We need a fresh word from the Lord. So Christians have all kinds of opinions on that. I would say do whatever it takes. I wasn't gonna let me having to get a job keep me. So I had a job as a pastor in Huntington Beach Paid well, great church, great people. I left that job, that paid job, and I came to Riverside, got a teaching job so that I could become a pastor in Plant Sandals Church, because nothing was going to get in the way of me doing what God called me to do. And so if that means work, then work. So that was a long answer.
1: It was good stuff. It was good stuff. And that was a a good chapter of Acts chapter 20. Next week, we'll be moving on to Acts chapter... 21, which is uh, really cool, super exciting, and hey, listen, as we close out the show, want to thank you guys so much for listening, for uh, every week sharing the show and supporting the show, and um, I- I'm pretty excited. We have got really big plans for. Um, I don't know if we can call it the debrief 2.0. This whole new era of the debrief that's going to start coming online in 2017. And next week is episode 40, and we're excited to start sharing with you guys some of the plans that we are moving toward um, with the new era of the debrief. And with all of that going on, Listen, we'd love to ask you guys to support the show, especially those of you guys who are listening every single week or a regular part of uh, our family here on the debrief, and you're not a part of Sandals Church. Uh, we'd love to invite you guys to support what's happening here. If you go to sandalschurch.com give, you got a whole bunch of options there. If you want to make a one-time gift, that'd be super awesome. If you want to set up a, a recurring donation, that would be super cool. Man, I crunched some, uh, some numbers, and if every single person who listens to the debrief gave like a dollar per episode, not only could we cover all of our costs, we could plant one or two new Sandals Church locations every single year. Now, obviously, all of our listeners are not giving a dollar in episode, so that's never going to happen. But if you're willing to help support the show by going to sandalschurch.com slash give, we uh, would appreciate you being a part of what God is doing here through our church. If you are a part of the family, man, grab one of those debrief t-shirts. Christmas is coming up. Get a sticker <laughs> for your kid. Uh, however you want to do it. Just all just that stick goes. It on your kid. Oh, yeah, care. exactly. Stick it on your kid. All that is helping out. And uh, if you don't want to do any of those things that doesn't work out, just go ahead and. Um, share the post on Facebook. That'll work with us.
2: That's right. And if you have questions you want to get here on the show, you can send those in through a message on Facebook, or you can go to debrief.show. Click the big red button that says, ask a question.
1: All this information can be found online at debrief.show slash 39. And Stephanie, we, it's time for Learning Christianese. Learning Christianese, I think I'm
2: learning Christianese, I really think so. Learning Christianese, I think I'm learning Christianese, I really think so. That's right. This week's term of the week is bounce your eyes.
0: Pastor Matt, what does it mean to bounce your eyes? Oh my gosh, that's so great. So, what it means is if, and I think it's for guys mostly, yes. but it can be maybe for girls who have uh, are, are visually disabled when it comes to their faith in Christ. Um, yeah. Uh, what it means is if you see some, you know, like if I'm married, I have an amazing wife. She, I love her. I don't want to be married to anybody else. But if my eyes catch a very, very attractive woman coming my way, and I acknowledge that she is beautifully created in the image of God. I look at her for a moment and then bounce my eyes and I look somewhere else. I I look away. I don't stare, I don't glare, I don't start drooling. Don't sneak a peek. No, I don't do that. So yeah. <laughs> That's what it means when you yeah. hear bounce your eyes.
2: Yeah.
0: I
1: guess boys, be on guard. Mm. <laughs>